Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Aaron Blau and Kyle Mackey. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Great weekend after a great match. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about this awesome 5 nothing victory over the Tulsa Roughnecks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you said it. You said it best, Aaron. I mean, just a great match. Complete, complete effort from the boys. And, I mean, it was dollar beer night, and the magic continues. Guy, that magic continues. You know what's an amazing stat? That was the biggest margin of victory on a dollar beer night ever. That's wild. Because we've had some great matches on dollar beer nights. But a 5-0 win, that's the biggest dollar beer night win ever. I, I believe it's our biggest home win ever as well. So, I mean, just record-breaking. And, I mean, yeah, as you said, we've had so many great dollar beer night matches. But a 5-0, you know, we can add that to the to the stat sheet now. And, it, I mean, dude, these stats for this team, it just seems like they're just stacking up completely every single week. Yeah, before we dive right into it, let's thank our sponsors, the Arizona Sports Complex. Located by the 17 and 101 freeways, they have all sorts of leagues, whether you're doing soccer, basketball, lacrosse, anything else. Get over there, let them know the Rising is One podcast sent you, and get a discount on annual membership. They also do parties and corporate events. So just get over there and let them know we sent you. And yeah, let's get right into this. Tulsa 0, Phoenix 5. That is... So cool to look at. Now, I missed uh, predictions. I, I missed your guys' preview from last week because I had to bolt early. What did you got? What was the prediction? Let's let's go back uh, into the uh, into the past here. And what were Woo! you guys? The final score was going to be. I think I had two nil, and Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you had three one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe, if I can, yeah, go back to the archives, I believe I said 3-1 last week. And, I mean, that would have been a great result, but, you know, the boys, uh, they outshone all of us. Hey, I'm going to put an asterisk on mine, though, because I did not think Flemings was going to play. Well, actually, last week, he wasn't called up yet, so I thought he would play. And then later in the week, I was thinking he wouldn't play once he got called up, but it all worked out. I mean, he had a brace, so it's a good thing he did. Yeah, and the word on the field uh, uh, before the game is basically that uh, the first Jamaica activity that anything's going on is until like the seventeenth. So their call date isn't isn't for like another week. And Phoenix Rising said, "Hey, do you mind if we keep him for a little extra time?" And they said, "Sure, no problem." So while Kevon Lambert did not return to the team, uh, they did um, uh, they did end up uh, um, you know allowing us to maintain. So does that mean we might actually have Flemings for the OC match? Uh, that's I would think that it's a possibility. Uh, having him come off the field early, you know, it was kind of a route. I, I understand that they probably wanted to save him a little bit, but I think that it, it still is a possibility, actually. Although, let me check. I'll check his Instagram. I was just going to say, I, uh, he, he, he actually was at Sky Harbor last night, so it looks like he's headed back to Jamaica. That's right. Gotta love Instagram for uh, for all of this reconnaissance work. Yeah, yeah, you know, right? I mean, it's it's some of the best, you know, journalistic media that we can find, I feel like, for for this kind of info, you know, the Instagram story. So, uh, 
yeah, I was creeping on him this morning and was able to to find that out. So it does not look like he'll be here this weekend. But, you know, you just have to wish Fleming's the best of luck. He's just been on fire for us lately and absolutely deserves this call up. For sure. Um, unless you're trying to stalk Evan Waldrop and he posts nothing ever. So that's great. <laughs> Come on, man. Live a little bit. He must That's be getting true. an opportunity know. in Europe or something where they start in August, because this is crazy. I just want to see him playing somewhere. That's yeah. Funny. But, you know, look, he's a young guy. Maybe he decided that it wasn't for him or something. I don't know. Guy guy has some, some skills and talent, though. Anyways, let, let's get into the match itself. Um, and, Aaron, take us through the starting 11 and your thoughts on it. So, it's... The starting eleven was pretty much the was exactly the same as the pro, uh, prior match, except for uh, substitution of James Musa uh, for Kevon Lambert, who was out. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, and uh, and as well as Dewey uh, Mala was put along the back line. So we end up with Zach Lubin again in goal. Uh, makes me really wonder if what uh, Waz is going to get too much more of a chance for the rest of the season, but we'll have to see. On the back line, we have Amadou Dia, Dewey Mala, Joe Farrell, and Mustafa Dumbuya. Uh, there were some questions about where is AJ Cochran and uh, what's going on with him. In the post-game, in post-game comments, um, uh, one of our colleagues did ask Coach Chance about that, um, and he had mentioned that um, uh, in the Vegas match, he took a little bit of a knock. Uh, and had some recovery, but had some, uh, unfortunately, showed some symptoms this week. He, According to the team, he was kind of a late scratch uh, today, but it was good to see Luigi Mala be able to get 90 minutes. Uh, Coach Chance was actually really pleased with his with his performance as well today, or uh, on, on Friday night. In the midfield, we had Jose Agunaga, James Musa, and John Baccaro. And then up front, our big three, possibly the best three, best front three that you can have in the USL, Junior Flemings, Adam John, and Solomon Asante. Yeah, I think um, Mike Vanderplast made the argument that that is the best top three in USL, and he actually broke the numbers down pretty well. If you look at scoring chances created, they have created more chances than any other top three in USL this season, including the likes of New Mexico with Freighter, Moore, and Devin Sandoval. So that's pretty impressive, and and the way we're pouring goals in these last few matches, you know, at this point, definitely the best top three. Yeah, it, Adam John actually mentioned it in the post game con. Uh, the same question was asked to all three folks uh, in post game, uh, Coach Chance, uh, Junior Flemings, and Adam John, if Junior or Adam and Solo are the best attacking tree in the league. Uh, Coach Chance didn't really take the bait, actually was a little bit critical of Solomon uh, in, in his response. Flemings was, was you know, really uh, even, even tempered on, on his response. And Adam John just flat out said, yeah, I think so. I think any team playing us should be wary of us. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, sometimes the folks in the media try to bait for a little bit of uh, a locker room material. And John was like, yep, absolutely. <laughs> I love the honesty though, and I love the confidence. You know, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that. I mean, the confidence is key for a striker, and he's clearly got it, as he should have. I mean, if we talk about the match itself, you know, and I have to say, super impressive for Mala and Musa to step in the way they did to play the full ninety. Uh, 
you know, you weren't going to sub Mala off early in this one after the last time he got subbed off after a rare start. So he played really well. You know, let's get into the match because Musa had a play that we're going to be talking about. So uh, as we get in the match, first the first five minutes in that, that initial feeling out phase uh, as they're coming through, to me, it felt like we were strictly in charge, uh, moving the ball. We actually had a um, had a couple uh, a shot attempts. Uh, Junior Flemings has a has a shot at five minutes. Uh, Joe Farrell has a shot at five minutes. Junior Flemings has another shot at five minutes. Uh, so we're already really showing uh, and trying to set the tone. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in the thirteenth minute. We have a ball that gets that gets played back. Demboya moves it over to Musa. Musa has some sort of vision in some way, shape, or form. But he's just—I don't know. I would say he's at the 25-yard mark. Maybe he's he's about 28 yards um, off of the goal, off of the left-hand side, and puts up a puts up a uh, um, puts up a cross. I don't know what you, a long pass that went about a mile in the air, and I think that. What I was thinking at the time, uh, besides for the fact that I was looking down at my camera a little bit, was what? Why is he tossing the ball up? It's ba- it's he's basically just given a goal kick in the middle of nowhere, um, and and giving the ball away, and, as opposed to playing the ball out from the back, trying to push the ball through the middle. He just basically th- kicked the ball. It went about a mile high, and finds the foot of Adam John, a diving Adam John. Adam puts a perfect, perfect little loop on it over the keeper's head into the back of the goal. And I think the rest of us are wondering what the hell just happened. <laughs> Kyle. I, I can tell, tell, tell you this. You saw that section. Yeah, you saw that straight on from the supporter section. What what was that like? Because, you know, everybody's just getting juiced up. They're 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 finishing their first or second or third beer. Um, and and uh, what was it like going on in there? Yeah, I, I was just getting on to beer number three at that point. And um, I mean, it, it, like you said, you just you kind of wonder what Musa was doing. I mean, it, it was, you know, a great pass by Musa and wonderful vision. But. To see John, a player who, you know, he is fast, but he's not known for his speed, get on his horse and connect with that ball off a of volley, no less, and go over Sean Lewis, the Tulsa keeper. I mean, it it was almost unreal. It was one of those, you know, moments that you see in a movie that, you you know, it, it doesn't happen in real life. But, uh, I mean, it, I witnessed it. I was there. I mean, in that, that literally, it, it could have been the fifth goal it felt like because that just set the supporter section off i mean to have such a beautiful goal so early on in a match that we were already dominating i mean we knew everyone knew right then okay this is our night this this game's done tulsa could could have gotten on the plane and gone back home at that point because the match was just over with some, when you have something of that high of class go against you as a team i mean i just feel like tulsa completely just got sucker punched and they were never able to recover Dominic, you were you were watching from home. Tell us uh, tell us what your thoughts were on that. I mean, it was great timing because even before that, Phoenix had created several dynamite chances. I mean, Tulsa gave the ball away at the edge of the 18-yard box, and Asante should have scored. I mean, he just missed it. 
but he either should have scored or laid the ball off to Flemings in the middle, who would have had a, a one another tap in goal, like you know the goal he scored later in the match. But I mean, Tulsa was just giving Phoenix chances. Then then Phoenix had another one or two that had just missed right before that incredible goal. So, you know, from the beginning, you could feel a goal was coming. I don't think anyone thought a goal was coming like that. Like James Musa playing a Cochrane ball, you know, on a rope. And then John to one time it like that. What stones you got to have. What yeah, I love you, about had, you, you had it right on that you called it Cochrane ball because that's exactly the role that, that AJ was playing. And having him off that field and having somebody else to be able to step into that role where they're really looking to push that ball through the midfield, uh, skip in the midfield, and, and, and uh, stretch that stretch the field in the way that, that Cochran always does, uh, that's a great take. Yeah, I mean, it's just we're going to need to play like that sometimes because some teams are going to try to muck it up in the middle. I think next week against Orange County, it's going to be important that we have a ball or two like that, a long ball. If it doesn't result in a one-time goal, at least it sets one of the attackers off moving forward and gets us an opportunity. Um, Because, yeah, if you can just attack directly like that, you know up top Adam John has balls of titanium and he can just take a one-touch like that and put it perfectly over the keeper in the goal right in front of the supporters. That is ridiculous. And I it's one major opinion regarding some upcoming voting on this. So, Kyle, you know, t- what are your thoughts on goal of the, uh, um, I don't know, season? I mean, easily. I mean, this has this has to be up for goal of league history almost. I mean, when you look, <laughs> I mean, seriously, man, look at the touch of both of these players. I mean, you don't see this quality of play. I mean, you look around Twitter, people are saying this is a Premier League style goal. I mean, this is the goals you see at the highest levels. And I mean, it, it's just it's so amazing and yeah, if Musa does or Musa, if John does not win goal of the week for this goal of the month and get in goal of the year running, I mean, it's a complete injustice. I mean, you have to say so. I mean, it's just unreal to see something like this happen and to see it in person. I'm just, you know, I'm so thankful I was there and I wasn't, uh, you know, looking down at my phone or anything at that moment. I got it all right in live time. Watch and that it, one New Mexico goal get nominated and then all the New Mexico fans are going to st- spam the voting. But... <laughs> so the it one also goal got, they it scored this week? Retweeted. It got retweeted and picked up by oh, another major soccer site. I forget what it was. Um, I saw Footmob, Copa yeah, 90, 433. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is literally going all over. And like, you know, we talked about earlier, Barstool tweeting about this. I mean, it, it is just, it's, we're getting all the recognition we deserve. So moving on, um, because, you know, that did definitely blew us away, but, um, didn't take too much, uh, too much longer for the supporters to get another, uh, another really good look at a beautiful goal. Um, in uh, the 25th minute, we have the ball moving up from the right-hand side. Uh, Adam John pushes that pushes the ball forward, um, just about, and he's he's over on the right-hand side, almost you know that is definitely crossing position. Puts it across uh, right along the six-yard line um, in a, just a gorgeous cross. Flemings is in the perfect position, completely unmarked, complete 
defensive breakdown by Tulsa and just a really simple tap in uh, for Flemings to be able to uh, to to put us up two nothing in the 25th minute. I saw this, uh, the cross happened right in front of me, uh, and you could see this building just about a mile away. What did it look like on TV, Dom? Uh, it looked like Tulsa just shot the bed defensively. They were terrible. Um, to give Adam John that much space going up the wing and then to leave Junior Flemings unmarked in the middle, like, that's a huge breakdown. Um, you know, props to John for pushing the tempo and then finding the open man. But, I mean, Tulsa was horrific defensively. It, it could have been seven or eight goals. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it was really just a terrible defensive error. And, I mean, great, you know, capitalization on that by Phoenix Rising. Adam John, I mean, just constantly working. And, you know, we get to see his assisting ability in this uh you know this goal and it's something that you know i i think it's awesome you know when this guy's just getting involved it's just gonna bring more and more goals for him and flemings just does what flemings does he gets in the box and he puts the ball in the back of the net and you know that's two nil right there and yeah at that point i mean supporters rocking everyone's soaked in beer and uh you know we're not even 25 minutes in yet and the build-up did include both Solomon Asante and John Baccaro. Uh Asante coming uh, coming toward his own end in order to uh, to pick up a pass, slides it off to Baccaro. Baccaro is the one who pushed it forward to get it up into space in the right-hand corner, uh, and it was just off to the races for Adam John uh, to put that cross away. So you're talking about great build-up. Good team play, all one-touch passes. Asante one-touch to Bacaro. Bacaro one-touch to John. John ha- John with the cross. I mean, it's just very, very attractive football. Attractive and effective. I mean, it, this is this is what the great teams do. This is how they score goals and you know break down defenses. And we're you know we're finally figuring out. It took a while. A lot of people, you know, were having their faith tested. But, I mean, this is what Rick Schantz always talked about. This is the style of football he always wanted to play. And it's so fun to finally be here and be watching it. And what, and then, again, uh, I don't think that there, there was a not a lot of other scoring chance. Saul Masante had a left-footed shot in the, in the, in the 39th minute. Um, not a lot of other exciting chances, I don't think, in between until the 41st minute uh, when Ginger Fleming's just showing power and muscle uh, receives the ball toward the midfield, uh, pushes it up toward the 18, definitely gets fouled, but the ball was still in front of him, and the referee allowed him to continue play. He moves into the 18. This defender, for some strange reason, uh, basically uses another terrible tackle and Flemings goes down uh, goes down in the box and this again also happened right in front of me I was able to get some great uh, photos of it that were slightly out of focus but uh, I don't know what this defender was thinking Uh, Dom what was your look I mean again just bad bad defense I mean credit to Aguinaga though because Aguinaga had a great ball to set this attack up um, to find, and he kind of did one of those where he hit it with the uh, side of his foot, so it had that nice swerve, and it hit Fleming's right in stride to get the attack started. But then, 
Mellon Roberts for Tulsa is just a Sunday league defending. I mean, he clearly fouled uh, Fleming's outside the box. Credit for Fleming's for keeping his balance and playing the advantage. And then Roberts, again, just clumsily puts his leg in there. That's, you know, a stonewall penalty. Um, so I, That th- pass by Aguinaga is a right-footed outside-of-the-foot pass. You're right on, man. That was that was very solid. And it hit him right in stride, too. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, Aguinaga's passing, I mean, it, it's just... It's gotten to a point to where each week he's doing things that I'm I'm having to look back at the film and and watch how he does that. I mean, he, the guy's just insane with his passing ability. And yeah, I mean, a clear penalty. I don't think anyone will will argue with that. And yeah, I mean, Tulsa up until this point, their defense has just been in shambles. Yeah, it, it's, so it's terrible. I mean, so so Fleming gets gets the uncredited assist. Uh, for the next goal, which was the, the Solomon Asante penalty, uh, and I got to tell you, I saw as as I saw Solomon, you know, lining up. He is the captain. It, it's you know, the other players defer to him as as far as who's going to be taking that shot. Um, but we've also seen Solomon be a little bit shaky in a, in in this earlier in the season where he was a little bit too predictable. This one, not not a problem whatsoever slams it home nice and high in the center uh center of the goal with the keeper going off to his right no problem piece of cake solomon asante puts it at three to nothing kyle you were right behind goal at this point is that right correct what was your thoughts when you were watching uh solomon uh approach this this uh penalty shot i mean there was no doubt. I mean, you can see it in his confidence and just just his play lately. I mean, Solomon Asante, since he's come back from from Ghana, I mean, he has just turned it up another level. And I mean, there was there was no doubt in my mind he was going to score that penalty. I I, I knew it was going to be three nil at that point. And, and you know, going into half, um, up three nil. You know, it was it was a great you know feeling, and it, it was just it was without a doubt there was. No no lack of confidence in my mind and in Solomon Asante's mind that he was going to score that penalty. So that puts Solomon with six goals on the season so far. He is averaging for goals and assists per game per or per ninety minutes one point one nine goals or assists per ninety minutes. I mean, this guy is is been clutch for us, um, and I really do think since he came back from Ghana, I think that you're right on. We mentioned it in a prior podcast. Um, that his mind seems more clear, his decision-making um, is more astute, and his confidence is uh, very, very solid here. Yeah, and I, I just see more of a captain swagger from him almost now. It's just, he's not, you know, he's not going to be that voice. He's not going to be loud on the field, but just through his actions and how he leads, um, it, it just really seems like he's taken over that role for us. And, I mean, he's going to be our penalty taker for the foreseeable future, I have to say. I don't know about that because, I mean, John did very well when he was out. Um, but, I mean, it seems like that's the case because he got to take the penalty over John when they were both in yesterday. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, Asante has redeemed himself. He had a nice one in the shootout, and then he had the one yesterday. I mean, I don't think you can go too wrong with either of them, but 
I don't know. We'll see. It is crazy, though, that I feel like Asante's six goals and however many assists he has now are so under the radar. They're so quiet. Like, you're just so used to it that you don't appreciate everything he's doing. Well, that's a great lead-in to the 65th minute here uh, because Asante uh, takes the ball in the 65th minute. Uh, He's just on the Phoenix Rising side of the half and plays a right-footed cross with pinpoint accuracy onto the foot of Junior Flemings, of of a streaking Junior Flemings. Now, he wasn't, you know, going at full stride, but this pass was so well-placed, and Flemings' first touch was so solid. And from there, it was just a straight path directly to the goal, uh, to this poor keeper, Lewis, who has just been shell-shocked already. Uh, and Flemings puts a right-footed goal pretty much into the center of the goal, on the ground, didn't even didn't even really try to put it up high to make this 4 nothing. But everything starts on this goal with Solomon Asante's uh, sixth assist, because he had another one in the match. Um, so that so this just pinpoint passing, uh, again, that we're seeing by Solomon Asante. Uh, happened pretty much again right in front of me. I was I was very fortunate in, in this particular match. I actually caught this one on video. Um, Kyle, it was a little bit tough for you to see from the supporter section at that point. But uh, you know, what beer number are you on at this point, and were you even paying attention? I I actually was paying attention. Um, beer number, I I can say at that point I was probably on about number six. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you there was just, you know, I, I, there was six beers around my feet. I, I mean, I, I assumed that I drank them all. It seemed like everyone, you know, in, in the area next to me, we were all, you know, building that Bud Light pyramid. So, uh, but no, I mean this, this goal, it's to me seeing all these long diagonal balls, there has to be something that either the players saw or Rick Schott saw because two of our goals come on the you know kind of pass long diagonal ball that just takes the entire defense out of play and Solomon Asante I mean we've talked about it time and time again his his ability to create chances for his teammates and especially junior Flemings their connection on the wings to be able to just get the ball to Flemings in stride I mean all Flemings has to do at that point is keep the ball at his feet and as we said cool calm collected finish doesn't do anything fancy but gets the goal and, I mean, for Flemings to go to the Jamaican national team coming off a two-goal performance, I mean, it just has to feel amazing for him and amazing for the whole team. I mean, up 4-0 at this point, everyone's just in euphoria. It, I mean, it was just too much. I mean, just the best start to a weekend you could have. Yeah, it's, and what a what a great ball, what a great touch. Like, everything about that goal was so nice, so professional. If it wasn't for that Musa to John goal at the beginning, we'd probably be, you know, talking about this one uh, crazily. But, you know, it's hard to upstage that. So still an incredible goal. And I think just the composure that Fleming's had, because he had a lot of ground between where he took that ball and where he shot it one-on-one with the keeper. And he just, those touches were so composed. They were so perfect in that moment. He is so cool, man. Like, I am so excited to have him later in this season 
for the playoffs especially it's it's some good stuff yeah no he he has added a whole new dimension to our, to our wing play i mean it really has allowed us to just dominate teams out wide and i mean yeah so cool but i mean with the way he plays you know as a defender it's it's probably not cool to be in that position I have a uh, I yeah, have a question I mean, for you guys we're... that I'll pose later in this episode after the match, but it's Fleming's related. Okay. All right, we'll make sure to get back there. Uh, but in between this, uh, to pretty much to finish off the match here, uh, in the 75th minute. Um, 71st. Uh, I'm sorry, 70. 71st minute, um, we see another excellent assist by Solomon Asante. Um, Balls around, moving around in the mixer a little bit. Um, uh, Solomon Asante definitely looks like he's trying to line up for, for maybe a goal, but instead sees a way to lay it off, lays it off uh, to Wheeler Amunu, uh, and Wheeler Amunu puts it home in the exact perfect position just inside the right post for his first ever USL goal. I don't think it's his first professional goal because I believe he scored at the FC Tucson level, uh, but his first ever USL goal after being called up from FC Tucson. And all the players came over uh, to the left corner and they were excited for him, congratulating with him. I will tell you that uh, no player was more excited for him than James Musa. Uh, I, I got some great shots. They were just stoked for Wheeler Amunu uh, to be able to get his first profe- his, his first professional goal at the USL level, and uh, that pretty much is all she wrote. I mean, it was it was all done from there. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I mean, there was there was nothing left. The ref could have blown the whistle at that point. And I don't think Tulsa would have complained at all. It was, yeah, as you said, it's all she wrote. And one of the coolest things about this goal, you know, it wasn't that pretty of a goal. It was, it didn't match, you know, the maybe the quality of the other ones or, or the the social media sharing that, that could happen from it or anything like that. But he came in two minutes before. He came in the, into the match in the 69th minute. Two minutes later, he puts a goal in, in <laughs> at the right post. Uh, so all the reward, very little of the work. Uh, congratulations to Wheeler on um, you knew. Uh, Dom, any comments on that one? I mean, that's just incredible. He came on in the 69th minute, one of his first touches of the game. He has the composure to just knock that in from outside the box. I mean, it was very well done by Asante to keep the ball because Tulsa was pressuring pretty good there. But then... What a goal. I mean, you, you don't you can't really expect Wheeler to do what he did there, but he places it perfectly and uh you know, hopefully he becomes a frequent substitute for us. It seems like that's what's been happening the last 2 weeks. He's been getting on the pitch. Maybe he takes that Waldrop role from last year where he's a regular guy that's coming in late to kind of see matches out. Yeah, and I fully expect that, you know, in the absence of Junior Flemings, we're going to be seeing AJ Calistri. Uh, but we really Joey, don't have Joey a... Joey Calistri. Uh, I'm sorry, Joey Calistri. AJ Cocker and Joey Calistri. Um, I, I fully expect that we're going to be seeing Joey Calistri. Uh, but if Calistri is playing, we're actually 
stay thin at that forward position, at that wing, at that wing position. So um, I do expect that Wheeler Amunu is going to be uh, with the team for you know for a while. Uh, he was sent back down uh, to play last night, actually. So he played on on Friday night, and then he was immediately sent back down to Tucson to play in the Saturday match. Um, I'll look up the stats to see if he was able to do anything uh, to to do anything there in just a second. Um, while I do that. Uh, there was there was one more outstanding play that happened in the match involving somebody who we haven't had a chance to talk about because the ball simply wasn't on his half of the field too much. Uh, and that was Zach Lubin. Zach Lubin coming into, um, you know, coming into full time here is really trying to protect that free car wash for all of the fans and had an amazing save. Um, the Tulsa player was playing left to right, uh, there were three Phoenix Rising players who were covering him and, and you know, giving him uh, sort of blocking where the goal was. But he found the, most, the smallest little window and really put his whole body through that ball, trying to go upper 90. And uh, Zach Lubin, with a diving save, saves the car wash for all of the fans. Yeah, that, uh, that shot by DJ Dean was absolutely goal-bound. And what an incredible, incredible save there i mean tulsa was pushing at the end but i feel like lubin really loves getting those shutouts and he he really pushes hard those last 10 to 15 minutes not just in this match but in other ones even if we're up like two nil three nil he'll be like really making sure that that clean sheet stays i mean he, he's a man of the people i mean he, he wants everyone to have a clean car and i thank him because i went and got mine yesterday and uh, I mean, just an amazing save. And and when when I go back and watch this, to, when you see Lubin, you see the ball, you see DJ Dean moving with the ball and going across the rising defense. And behind our players, you see how fast Lubin chops his feet and gets across, and then dives to make that save. I mean, this guy's athleticism is just unreal. I mean, not only is he a huge figure in goal, but he's also got feet. He can move. And, I mean, this, for me, is probably why he's, you know, taking Carl's spot on the throne of goalkeeper. Because, I mean, Lubin, it just seems like every single time he's, you know, put to the test, he's up to it. And as Dominic said, I mean, late in the match, he is so clutch. And, you know, just keeping those goals out and keeping the other teams just demoralized. Well, it was a fantastic match. Uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun to be there for. I actually did for the first time. I've, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Uh, my kids were actually at a play with my, my mom um, at the Hale Theater in downtown Gilbert. Uh, so my wife and I, we went over to the Brass Tap in Gilbert, waited for the, them to finish the play, um, had a little bit of dinner, got picked up from by the bus of the Brass Tap. There was probably a dozen fans or so um, having having dinner and drinks at, at the Brass Tap, waiting for the pub to pitch bus, and uh, off to the uh, the Vine we went, and straight to the uh, straight up to the uh, stadium. So that pub to pitch is a great way to be able to get to a game, especially a game like this where it's a dollar beer night, where you know that you're going to be imbibing, and uh, you could use a designated bus driver. Uh, to at least get you back to some sort of starting point that you can Uber home safely. So uh, big props to Phoenix Rising for continuing to do the pub-to-pitch bus. I appreciated the ride. 
Yeah, I, I haven't done it, but I've from everyone I've heard, you know, they've said it's a great experience and it's it's not something that many other organizations offer. So, I mean, fans definitely need to take advantage of this because truly, I mean, it's about getting home safe and having a great time. And they're giving us the opportunity to do both. So, uh, you know, just, yeah, kudos to Sam Dorr and the whole rising front office. This dollar beer night is just perfect. You know, the idea, the execution, on and off the pitch, everything is so great about it. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it is getting publicity that it deserves. So even ESPN had a notification yesterday that Phoenix Rising has an 11-game winning streak on dollar beer night. So it's all really cool stuff. Any other yeah. final final thoughts about this match? Just uh, go just for it, pandemonium. I was just gonna say, I mean, just unreal. I mean, it was you know, we started Dollar Beer Night with Tulsa and that four three thriller. This match was you know not as not as close, but probably just as exciting. And and you know, that four three one was actually that Jason Johnson scissor kick. And you know, it seems like these Tulsa Dollar Beer Night matches are just producing some of the best goals in uh, Rising history. Yeah, we just got to make sure we keep playing them on Dollar Beer Night. Um... But yeah, it's crazy because I feel like almost every match, even when we win, there's something small you can nitpick at against Monarchs. It was, yeah, we won, but we still gave up two sloppy goals against um, RGV. We won, but the defense was a little suspect at times. This match, it was just great. Like, there's really nothing you can say that wasn't perfect, you know? The midfield was awesome. The attackers were clinical. The defending was sound. Lubin was just incredible at the end there. Nothing. You can't say anything bad about any aspect of the performance. It's such a rare feeling to say that. Uh, this match to me is really a, a result of patience. And that's what we were preaching those first couple weeks. I mean, we ha we saw a lot of you know discontent people unsure what's going on here they had sort of forgotten that the first first set of games really had to do with putting together the chem building the chemistry of the team getting them to be able to predict and know hey if i'm making the run toward the middle i know the guy's off to the to my right i know that i can play it off to him so now we're seeing them actually really having a lot of fun and being creative and, and playing a really beautiful style of of, of soccer and maybe look maybe the, the opponent isn't fantastic. You're talking about Tulsa, their mid-table, but they did start the season really well. They started with a great run of, game, of matches at the, at the beginning of the season. They were at the top of the table, which surprised the hell out of me. Um, and we do have some tests coming up. Most of our late wins lately have to do with lower uh, lower table opponents. So as we start getting back into a, a, a heftier load here, um, we're going to have to use this momentum and this chemistry uh, to continue. And I think we're in great shape to do it. And on that note, we should probably get to previewing our next match against Orange County. What do you guys say? Sounds good to me. Tell us... Tell us a little bit about what's what's going on in Orange County. So Orange County, they have a ton of draws this year. I mean, 
half of their matches have ended in draws. They have four wins, three losses, seven draws. So they're playing to the level of their opponents, which, you know, if they're playing a bad team, they're not really taking advantage. But that means they're also tricky against good sides. And they did beat us 2-1 over in Orange County. That was also a terrible match for us. Um, probably the worst match we've played all season, if I'm going to be frank. Even worse than the Austin one. But, you know, Orange County has kind of just been hanging in, mostly getting draws, occasionally getting a win. They've picked up red cards in their last two matches, home to RGV and away to Vegas, and yet they they haven't been beaten in a match since... I'm actually looking this up because this is a pretty long unbeaten stretch here for Orange County. They, I mean, most of these have been they draws. Haven't, they but... haven't lost since... Eight, yeah, they haven't lost since April 20th. Uh, but in that stretch, it's been one, two, three, four, five draws and two wins, um, including the win over Phoenix Rising. But yeah, they haven't lost. Uh, they were they uh, were undefeated in the month of May. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough match. You know, their their defense is definitely susceptible. Last night they gave up a counterattacking goal to Las Vegas. You know, just a pretty. It's an encouraging goal for us because. Orange County got caught up front. Just a long ball to Ivan Para, kind of in that Junior Fleming's role on the left wing, and he was able to take it in, score from a good angle. But Orange County, even when they're down a man, they're still able to hang in there and fight. You know, they've shown a lot more fight lately than they did the first month of the season. And that's something even when they were struggling at the beginning of the year, they've been a very scrappy, resilient team, and they did get a draw yesterday down a man. So... They they aren't blowing teams off the field like they were last season, but they have a good spirit to them. It's it's not going to be an easy win. And uh, this is an important match because we do, I guess we have a bet going with their podcast about, you know, like who gets to run the shows. So we definitely need a win to uh, counteract that 2-1 that they got over us. Interesting thing too is, um, the young kid, Cervantes, is no longer their, their normal started keeper. It looks like Patrick McLean has kind of taken over there. Patrick McLean's a little bit older. I think he has some MLS experience. I don't know. What are, what are you guys' thoughts on OC? They're just... Well, so just for some of the fans, just, you know, kind of some numbers here. Uh... Their top goal scorer is Darwin Jones, uh, uh, plays forward. He's got six goals on the season, Aiden Quinn with uh, with five, and Michael Seaton with four. Um, Leonardo, uh, that's all, Leonardo Ribeiro de Silva, uh, de Silva um, has three goals. Uh, this is not a really high-flying offense by any means. Um The minutes leader, Harry Forrester, is the only one who's featured in every single match. Um, and uh, the, your red card player is Joe Amigo. So this is not a team that I like very much. Um, I, I really dislike Aiden Quinn very uh, – I just don't like his attitude. I don't like these guys very much. Uh, they do foul. They have 38 yellow cards in the season already. So 30, that that's 38 yellow cards in 14 matches. That's – that they're pretty heavy on on discipline there, um, 
it, it's going to be an interesting match because they're fighting for they're almost already fighting for playoff life. Uh, they have 19 points, but the interesting thing is, as powerful as their their offense was last season, they were so strong on, on offense. They they had a, a huge number of goals scored. Their goal differential is only three, so they're a very mediocre team at this point. And we have to take advantage of this. We missed an opportunity to pick up three points before um, in Orange County. It, I agree with you, Dom. It was our worst showing. Uh, and we have to pick up three points against Orange County at home um, because we have to show our legitimacy as the power in this Western Conference. All right, that's enough of me. Kyle. <laughs> no, I mean, all great points, and I agree. I mean, it is going to be a tough match. Um, no one should expect this to be a, a 5-0 blowout. Um, I was just looking you know, at, at their results in their three losses this season, only one has been at home and two on the road. So I think that bodes somewhat well for us. Um, but I mean, this team, as we talked about, they're uh, you know they're just a tricky, difficult team. They're not you know they're always tough when we play them. It's always a difficult match, it seems like. But I think that you know Rising has the edge right now as far as form, for sure. But Dominic, you know, he he brought up a great point in that they played to the level of their opponent. I think for, for Rising, the key is just going to be an early goal, um, just like Friday night and just like in many of our victories. I think when we score early, the goals come often, and I think that could really take them you know, off their off their foot. I think that you know this match, it's, it's a fun match every year because all of us just love to hate OC. But you know, I think it's a match that OC looks forward to as well because I think they love to hate us, and they would love to come into our house and you know play – upset maker we haven't lost at home in so long so i definitely think this is a bit of a trap game but ultimately i think that rising's able to get the result just on sheer form i mean we've just been playing so well lately i don't i don't see us having a drop off this week i think a huge part of this match is going to be how we deal with orange county's physicality because it's been a staple of our matches with oc they definitely are willing to pick up cards they're definitely willing to get under our skin but it really comes down to how we deal with that, because if we're gonna have, if we're gonna be resilient, if we're gonna be strong, and we're gonna earn the fouls, that just bugs the crap out of them. They just get so upset about that. You know, the perfect example being the Western Conference Finals last year, when they think that they can foul us and not get called for it. That's not how the game works. You know, um, if we get rattled by it, then it's a different story. But I'm looking back at OC's matches, and I can't tell you the last time they haven't had at least uh, two, three cards in a match. I mean, if you count a red card as two yellows, I I can't tell you the last time that they haven't picked up significant discipline. I mean, even matches where they weren't getting a guy sent off, they were getting multiple yellow cards. So the physicality is going to be part of our match. And the key is going to be, you know, how we deal with it. And if we can get ahead early, I think OC will definitely try to muck things up in the midfield and try to get a scrappy counterattack goal or something like that off a set piece or whatnot. So we just need to play our game. The fans need to really make the refs call everything. And yeah, if we can, if we could get an early lead on these guys, I could see it getting ugly for them. Um, I think I will go with 2-1 us. Just because these games tend to always be close, 
But this OC team is not all that. I mean, they're they're super beatable, and I think at home, with the form we've been in, I think we'll be able to pull it out. All right. Well, then I'll. how about we put you on the spot? What's the final score? I'm going to say 2-1, too. I think, I think Dominic's dead on there. I think it's going to be key that we, yeah, stay disciplined, don't get frustrated, because Orange County definitely has a lack of discipline. Um, they're very card-heavy team, and, yeah, hopefully, you know, we can just play our game, let them make a few mistakes, and, yeah, if the fouls end up, you know, going our way, maybe they, you know, get an early red card or if they get – key players on yellow so it uh makes them have to play a little more reserved i think that two ones a fair result um it's it's gonna be a difficult match but i think like i said i ultimately think rising does have the edge here especially at home um that that road match in orange county i was there and yeah easily our worst match of the season i mean it was just so painful to to watch and and I mean, when I look back at that, we could have stolen a po- two points and came out with a draw too. We really were pushing the last 15 minutes of that match in Orange County. So I think the opportunities are there. We just need to stick to what we've been doing these past few weeks, and the result will come. And on that note, I think we'll take a short break, and then we'll get into team news. <laughs> The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. Welcome back, and as promised, it's time to talk about team news and news around the league, and we'll start with team news. Junior Flemings and Kevon Lambert have been called up to the Jamaica national team for the Gold Cup. The Gold Cup starts next week, I believe, and lasts about a month. The final will be on July 7th, so that gives you a time frame of about how long we're looking to miss them. You know, you don't want us, you don't want Jamaica to do poorly in the competition, but if they get knocked out earlier, maybe they come back a little bit earlier or more at the beginning of July. But this is a huge thing. I mean, Kavon Lambert, we expected. He featured against the U.S. national team on Wednesday and had an assist in the 1-0 win. I'll let you guys talk a bit more about the accolades he got. But Junior Flemings is a bit of a surprise because I was thinking when he wasn't part of that friendly roster, he wasn't going to be called up to the 23-man roster for the Gold Cup. Is it a surprise for you guys? I, I have to say, I was I was slightly surprised, like you, um, just not seeing him, you know, be a part of, of the squad that played the U.S. It seemed like, you know, they kind of had a setup similar to the U.S. to where maybe a few players who were on the fringe were getting that tryout in that game, but everyone else was already with the team. 
Um, I mean, it, it's a disappointment for us Rising fans, but I'm also so excited for Junior, and I'm really honestly going to be pushing for Jamaica in this Gold Cup because, I, I mean, they're such a fun team to watch, and I hope both of these guys get the field time and the recognition they deserve because I think as a player getting to play in these types of tournaments, you know, it's it's a measuring mark of where they are in their career, and it's something that they'll always remember. Um, so, I mean, I, I really wish the best of them you know, all the luck in the world. It, it sucks that they have to leave the team, but I think this is something that the team needs to go through. I think this is a good time to go through it where players like James Musa and Joey Kalistri can get more minutes and, you know, show the team what they can do. And, you know, we'll need them when playoffs come around. So getting them some playing time now is definitely going to be critical. I'm super excited for this, uh, this Gold Cup. The first time we ever saw uh, Kevon Lambert was in Gold Cup in 2017 when he came here uh, with Jamaica and played at, at um, University of Phoenix Stadium, now State Farm Stadium. Uh, and we were able to pick him up shortly after that. And he is now, you know, to me, he's, he's a Phoenician, which is just amazing. Um, and I have a crazily unreasonable amount of pride. I feel like, I feel like I'm Jamaican. Uh, because as Jamaica was playing the USA, I was all Team Kivon. Um, like Dom, I was very surprised that Junior uh, wasn't asked to be part of that match as well. Now it seems that we realize, well, the reason why he wasn't asked, because they'd already made the decision to have him uh, as part of the Gold Cup team. So really looking forward to being able to see two of our, our low players and i know they're not from here they're not guys who came up through rsl arizona or or something like that but there are dudes and every time we get to see our dudes succeed on on a high level uh that just the pride just fills my chest and my body and and like everything about me and i want to be able to say shout from the hilltops hey that's our dude you know that you can watch that guy on saturdays at, at casino arizona field and and he's and they're playing on a national stage, so yeah, I get a little crazy about it. Um, I, I was just so happy for uh, Kivon's performance against the U.S. Uh, that almost I felt uh, like I was a traitor. But, you know, that, that's okay. It was a meaningless friendly, uh, as some people are saying. Also, I just got to say, for any fans out there listening, the Jamaica away kits this year are hot. Umbro got their uh, kits, and they did a great job. I mean, you always have a clean-looking yellow home kit, but the aways for Jamaica this year are beautiful. They're black with the uh, the Umbro diamonds and yellow and green going down the bottom. It's go check it out. They they they're selling on Soccer.com and on World Soccer Shop. I think right now they're on sale for seventy dollars instead of ninety. Um, I'm trying to save for a wedding so I don't have that kind of money to blow. But, man, if you do, cop that because it looks beautiful. They don't have customization options, though, which stinks. I definitely want to get a Lambert one. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's somewhere here in the Valley that, you know, you could take take a jersey to and get it get that customized. I, I would have to think that somebody here could uh, hook that up. Yeah, so if you're if you're uh, looking for a jersey to add to the collection, seriously, man, check out those Jamaica ways. They are fire. And that was our that was our Arizona soccer radio talking about jerseys for an episode. <laughs> it 
it's all soccer culture, right? Something like that. Um, but how how do you think this will impact us? You know, the next month without Kavon and Flemings. You know, I, I think there's going to be some. Uh, you know, it, it gives us a chance to show some other players. Um, it, it'll it should give us a chance to show some of the, some of our depth, but certainly ain't going to be easy. I mean, Flemings is uh, is a major leader in almost every category for what we have, and and uh, not having him on the field, I just don't know that uh, Kalistri is going to be able to make up for that. And now, I, I wonder what's going on with our midfield because we have a player who's seemingly missing from two different rosters uh, for the past week or so. So we'll have to see what, what our depth is there. Yeah, I mean, I think Musa can step in and be great in Kavan's spot. I do worry about, you know, because Johnson's injured too. I If Fleming's got called up and we still have Johnson, I'd be like, great, Johnson's just going to start four straight games. It'd be awesome. Now we have Kalistri, who has been capable at this level before, he just hasn't shown it this year. In the appearances he's made, he hasn't been the most opportunistic. So this is his time to shine because he's going to be getting those starts unless we change formation. And it's the four games that we're going to have without those guys, they're tough matches. Home to OC, away to Reno three days after that OC match, which is just brutal. Then away to OKC, that's a pretty long travel from Reno to Oklahoma. And then home to Timbers 2, which is a strong team in itself. They beat us here last year during the regular season. How do you think we fare in that stretch? I mean, results are going to be tough. There's, there's no question about that. Um, I'm trying to think as far as point wise, what top, I think is. Yeah, we're finally seeing some top tape. You know, that, that's the thing. Is that that's where the uncertainty comes in. Because we've been playing lower, lower table points. Yeah, and now we play the top teams and we don't have a couple key pieces. You know, I, I think we can do it against OC, but those away matches are going to be tough. Especially the Reno one. If if I were, if I were Chance, obviously I'm not. But if I were Chance, I would rotate a lot for that Reno match. You know, almost wave the white flag for that one and just try to get a draw, and then really put my energy into making sure everyone's ready to go for OKC because I think that's that's a team that's more vulnerable. That's a team that can be beaten. Reno with two days rest that doesn't seem realistic at all yeah no i no, i I agree with you i think i think he definitely needs to look at these two teams and prioritize one over the other um i mean aaron you know brought up earlier about carl you know when he's going to get his opportunity i think this arena match is a match where maybe was gets a net you know it is a short turnaround um as you said if we do a lot of rotation maybe we give was you know another opportunity in net and uh see what can happen i think FC Tucson guys as well. I'm not sure when they play next weekend, but I think there will probably be a few guys led better and probably Wheeler. 
Amianu, who also, you know, end up seeing time in this match. Um, it is it is going to be a difficult stretch, but I think, you know, June was a great month for us last year, and it might not be as great as last June, but I still think that even with these guys gone to the Gold Cup, this team's going to find a way to get results. It's what, you know, it's what the great teams do. They usually do have players of international caliber who are gone during the summer months. So, I mean, this is, it's one of those times that it, it really hurts that we have injuries in key places. Um, the one player who I really, you know, think would help the situation immensely, but is just not here yet is Rigi. I think he's one player who we really need right now. No one really knows where he's at on the road to recovery, but you have to think that hopefully he comes in at least by the end of this stretch. Maybe we see him in that T2 match, um, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, in, in any case, it's going to be a tough stretch, but that's why it's so important to, you know, build on this momentum and beat OC at home. You know, take care of those home points while we still have the fresh legs and everyone getting a full week preparation here. So with that, let's turn to the next big story in USL, and that's the news that came out of Las Vegas this week. It was announced that the Las Vegas City Council unanimously uh, voted in favor of, you know, proceeding with a stadium on the Cashman Field site, uh, which is interesting because also this week, uh, one of the Raiders owners, like a minority owner, right, he was saying that he wanted to uh, put Las Vegas lights in the new football stadium with the Raiders in an arrangement like Seattle or Atlanta, uh, a couple other places too do that where their MLS sides are playing in an NFL stadium the thing is well what what do you guys think about all this stuff coming out of Vegas and what do you think is more likely the Cashman Field site or the uh, NFL stadium well I mean you know it's incredibly frustrating when you see stuff like this that um, seemingly uh takes over bids that are both existing, well-vetted, well-positioned, with good ownership groups, and all that other good stuff. Um, because it's popular, because another expansion franchise in the local area saw success and, and fan support. Um, it just pisses me off to no end that, you know, some, some rinky-dink franchise who has helicopter money drops all of a sudden can usurp somebody else's legitimate bid uh, just by being in the news and uh, it's just it's utterly frustrating to me and I know Dom wanted to get me all riled up uh, <laughs> before I go to brunch with my family my wife's going to yell at me in a minute if we aren't out the door uh, but you know the, the reality is these guys <laughs> this is another case of you know, the prettier girl, uh, the, guy, the guy ditching his prom date for a prettier girl, uh, even though she's boring and lame uh, and totally uninteresting. And that's what I feel Vegas is. It's, it's uninteresting. They don't support their team up there. Uh, their average attendance isn't, isn't that fantastic. And they don't have an ownership group put together. But for some reason, because it's Vegas, uh, they get to get talked about in, over, over us. Th that pisses me off. And now I'm in a bad mood for brunch. 
I'm, I'm actually going to go check out the attendance numbers right now that Mike Pendleton puts up every week on USL Pro. Because my understanding is that, say everything else, which I completely all agree All right, with, all right. I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. They, they, they actually do have some good attendance. They're in the 7,000s. They started with they started at 8,000. Their most recent home match, they were at 6,800. They've had decreasing attendance for just about every match since the opening of the season. Which uh, is why they, they announced Real that. Monarchs. Which is probably why they announced that summer of soccer initiative. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're going to see a decrease in our attendance too. It's just natural because of the heat. Um. Anyway, I I'm just going to make up a bunch of things that I want to believe <laughs> about about Las Vegas to to show that they're not as worthy as we are. Yeah, I mean, kudos to them. They are actually the uh, their fifth overall in USL attendance this year and second in the Western Conference. Slightly above us, but look, I hear everything that you're saying, and what really frustrates me is that you did bring this up too. Twelve cities bid for MLS spots in the beginning of 2017. Those were supposed to be the cities that were considered for MLS expansion for the next few spots. You know, the and the next spots, the next three spots are going to teams who didn't bid. That's also right. not necessarily true. St. Louis uh, and San Diego. St. Louis, okay, yeah. St. Louis and Sacramento were cities in there, but yeah, wow. Austin is a whole other situation in itself. <laughs> I didn't know this. Well, St. Louis, it wasn't a strong bid. It wasn't, ta- it wasn't talked about in the same way. Um, in, in the same way as Phoenix or Sacramento or even San Antonio was. St. Louis, um, and St. Louis, if you remember at the beginning, was actually strongly considered. And then that one vote in 2017, the summer of 2017, right? It, it, the, it, it, it knocked them. And it, it yeah. looked like everything was dead after that. Until a new group came in. Well, I hate them too. All right, guys, I got to head off to uh, to brunch. Much love. If you have a chance, uh, check out some photos that I put up on @fitbotphoto on Twitter and @fitbotphoto f i t b a w f o t o on Instagram. I have a great shot of Solomon Asante uh, that I'm going to try to figure out what to do. I'm hoping, fo- hopefully, going to have him sign some and then auction them off for charity. Um, it's probably the best photo I've ever taken in my entire life. So. Uh, that's it for me. I'll leave the rest of the podcast to these guys and uh, go have some brunch with my in-laws. Yahoo. Wish me luck. Oh, have a great time. <laughs> and, uh, pour, pour one out for Burke Bakai and our ownership group. Absolutely. All right. Later, guys. Yep. Um, I don't know, Kyle. It, it's mostly been Aaron and I so far. So what are your thoughts on the Las Vegas MLS news? And they're actually going to yeah. have their bid evaluated in six months. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it a little bit last week, and I mean, it's I think it's it's totally frustrating. It's it's just like what it seems like MLS they're not following any of the standards they've set in the past. They're they're really like Aaron said, the pretty girl is just who they're chasing after right now. They're definitely um just swiping right as much as they can on Tinder. It it does not seem like they're taking anyone else's feelings into consideration and it's it's annoying because it's not just one case where cities have kind of just been you know tagged along and just like you know that little commercial oh you almost got it when the guy's fishing with the dollar it's just you can't 
get what you want out of Don Garber or MLS, it seems like. He's just not going to shoot straight with you. And they're always have something else up their sleeves that they're working on, it seems like. Um, but, I mean, it's 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 one of those things, like we said, MLS is a business. They're looking out for their best interests, what cities will be the most profitable for the league. Las Vegas is definitely going to be a profitable franchise. I mean, you just have to look at the whole sports betting thing. And for me, I really think that as appealing as the Cashman site probably is, I would not be surprised to see them share with the Raiders just because it's it's definitely more cost effective. And you could see a similar type of relationship that you know they have in Atlanta right now. And as you said, Seattle Sounders and other places where they share with their with their football team. And I, I, um, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because we all just, we don't know what the hell's going to happen and, and where to put our eggs, what basket, because it's, it's just, it seems like each, each few months there's a new front runner for MLS expansion or a new entrant into the bidding process. And I think, you know, Vegas, they probably haven't done what we see as enough to, to earn this bid, but I think that Las Vegas as a city, is probably just too attractive to MLS because, you know, as far as generating um, attendance, it's definitely a, a, te- a city that away teams will travel to, away fans will travel to just to get an excuse to go to Las Vegas. So, I mean, there you got to take that into account. But I, I said it earlier, I think that if they do get an MLS team in Las Vegas, it actually helps strengthen us by way of a Southwest regional rivalry. Um, I mean, there's MLS, I think, is just going to expand until they can't anymore because at this point it seems like it's just a money grab and they uh, they want as many teams as they can, as many markets as possible. I am a little concerned, though, because there there's this huge gap in the map in the Southwest where between L.A. and Salt Lake, there's really nothing. You know, L.A., Salt Lake, Colorado, there's there's nothing in that huge area. Las Vegas kind of fills the map pretty well. It's right in the middle of, of uh, well, not right in the middle, but it's in the middle of L.A. And, and Salt Lake. So they would actually have two, you know, three teams that are within driving distance that they could go to for matches. Even San Jose, that's a doable drive from Vegas. I mean, so it, it kind of fills the map, so there's not as much of a... Uh, a gap though but it, it puts us in a terrible spot because who are we going to root for in mls we're not going to root for i mean i feel like lafc kind of but we're definitely not going to root for vegas even though they would geographically be closer um i don't think many people out here root for the galaxy and i don't it's just a bad yes i I could definitely see it working out for us to then get spots like 31 or 32, but I could also see Garber saying, look, we actually filled out the West. Now we have Sacramento. Now we have St. Louis. Now we have Vegas. We should start expanding in the East again. And we just get kicked to the curb. It's, the uh, one thing I will say is is St. Louis is one of those cities that they could be in the East or West. They kind of could go either or. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. This is a great point, and I just – I don't know, man. I just feel like Phoenix is too big to be overlooked. Um, someone brought it up on Twitter. We signed Didier Drogba. Who else in USL has made you know a signing of, of that stature? No one. 
So, I mean, there's definitely some, I think, weight that this ownership group can pull. Um, I mean, our agreement with Galatasaray, it was really advertised. You know, it's maybe died down a little bit, but I'm really looking to see how that develops and how, you know, things progress in the next, you know, year or so with our relationship with Galatasaray and the type of events and players that we're able to see come from that. But, I I mean, it's, it's totally frustrating because... Las Vegas seems like it could be a fix, but I don't don't see it as a long-term fix. I think that it would, you know, they could find success, but I also think that Las Vegas might prove difficult to have the strong ownership group that Phoenix has. I just haven't seen enough from them so far. They're very gimmicky, and I don't I don't know how that works with MLS. That works just fine. MLS loves gimmicks. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, in a way, but I, I just, I just, I don't know, man. I, I still think that Phoenix has to be favorites because for me, they're just a better all-around organization. But that um, doesn't I mean, we're matter. Getting, we're, That's the thing. It doesn't well, matter well then, that we well then, have a better um, bid. Do really, it literally do does really not want, matter. Well, then do, do you want to be a part of such a farce? of a group of soccer that, you know, everywhere around the world pretty much looks down on MLS. Um, and, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely clear to all of us that the players in MLS are okay, but, I mean, just look at U.S. Jamaica. It was an MLS versus USL squad. USL has plenty of talent. We're pushing for pro-rel in USL. If, if MLS is going to be this kind of organization that you're not cool enough, you're not going to get enough, or, yeah, we, we agree to this, but we're going to go back on our word. That's not someone who I would want to get into bed with. So if, if that's something that continues, then, I mean, I say to hell with them because they really haven't done that much for Phoenix. Um, so why why do we need them? USL is the fast-growing second division in the world, and I think you know there's plenty of growth for us. And, I mean, eventually – MLS will come king if Phoenix stays in the USL and is successful. Just look at Orlando City. I mean, there's there's plenty of cases where teams have just been too good for MLS to pass up, and I think Phoenix is in that category. I mean, probably at some point. It's just... I It's probably going to happen in the next 10 years. And I, I hear everything about MLS being you know, just like a, a organization that you don't want to get in bed with because it's really kind of like a dictatorship. Don Garber calls yes. shots and you, uh, the USSF kind of calls the shots and everyone else just has to go along with it. You know, there's no creativity with the uniforms. There's no, uh, the fans have pretty strict regulations that they have to follow. But at the same time, being in MLS gives you exposure. You get to be on national TV you get to have 20, 25,000 fans at the stadium instead of six, seven. Even if we expand capacity to 10, still, it's just a bigger story, more eyeballs around the country, and you, that exposure is good. I mean, no matter what, we're going to love Phoenix, whether we're USL, MLS, it doesn't matter. But, at, I mean, you wish that MLS wasn't the uh, organization it is and it, it wasn't Don Garber calling the shots and choosing a city that wasn't even one of the 12 that bid and bringing them in over a bunch of cities that had legitimate reasonable bids, not just Phoenix but Tampa San Antonio, 
North Carolina, Indianapolis. These are all cities that had really legitimate, reasonable bids. And they're also being leapfrogged by Vegas. And that stinks. I mean, it shows that the only process is whatever Garber wants it to be. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely. And that's that's the one thing I will say is, you know, no matter what city you support, everyone unanimous, unanimously can agree that, you know, MLS and the U.S. Soccer Federation, as, as we talked about, I mean, they're just looking out for what they think is going to be best. They're not really pushing what's going to be best for the growth of the game in our country right now. They're really not when you look at it, when you look at what's being done and how things are being promoted. I mean, it, it's just so disappointing. And to me, I mean, this is this is just showing that we need to get these people out of soccer right now. A, a figure like Don Garber, who, as you said, a dictator, I mean, that's a great comparison because it really is how it's gone. I mean, everything, everything that, you know, he wants, he gets. And that's what's how MLS has gone. And he's been in charge for so long. I think a change would be a great breath of fresh air. And yeah, maybe we do see a bit of stability come to these organizations because right now it just, it seems to be like, it's just ridiculous. We're such a great country as a whole that in such an amazing sport to be so far behind it it just it doesn't correlate with me yeah well without without getting into a whole rant about the state of u.s soccer and everything we will move on but i think i think the bottom line is that for people that care about mls there is a feeling of hurt and i think this is different than even garber saying all right sacramento and st louis uh, get in over us or Cincinnati gets in over us because at least those cities bid for it at least those cities have had that ambition for a long time I think this one cuts a little bit deeper because Vegas didn't bid they weren't even talking about MLS until a few months ago and now it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason other than it's a new buzzy trendy spot so let's put MLS there it's kind of disrespectful but yeah, no, and and that goes that goes back to my point. I mean, this this MLS organization, they're so knee jerky. I mean, literally, like you said, snap decisions are being made. I mean, it's just it's not something you want to see from an organization. I mean, you don't see this from the NFL, you don't see this from the NHL, you don't see this from the NBA or the MLB. So, I mean, MLS, they're really, I think, hurting themselves when they do this kind of stuff they're they're just upsetting people around the whole country and i mean it's it's just it's one of those things that it's it seems like them putting themselves in a bad position just giving themselves bad press yeah i mean we'll, we'll leave it there we'll leave it there that's a good uh good closing point let's get to usl scores and standings because this was one of the craziest weeks in the western conference in the year that's been full of weird matches you know, in the midweek, New Mexico comes in as heavy favorites at home against Oklahoma City, and yet they were up 1-0, but Deshaun Brown gets a uh, a tying goal after Devin Sandoval put New Mexico up early, and it finishes 1-1. Kind of a disappointing result. New Mexico had all their stars in in that match. Really going for the midweek match. That was on ESPN News. Then, yet, uh, obviously, Friday we win. And then Saturday, lots of crazy results. Colorado Springs beats Tacoma 3-0. No, we don't really need to talk about that at all. 
Bold and Timbers finish 2-2. And in this one, Bold goes up 2-0. Chris Tierpak gets another goal. He's been doing so well for them. But Timbers, they bring one back before halftime. And then Todd Wharton in the 81st minute pulls Timbers level. Austin with their best offensive performance as far as shots and shots on target. 25 shots, 10 on target. This team is really surprising me. They have, you know, kind of come to life offensively the last month. And I haven't expected that. And yet now, it seems like the defense falters at times. So, you know, what a what a weird game. 2-2. Another weird game, San Antonio-Reno. Reno was up 2-0 early in this one. A brace for Corey Herzog has Reno looking real good. Raul Mendiola almost made it 3-0 in the 27th minute, but then San Antonio comes back in this one. They pull one goal back before halftime, and then in the second half, Ethan Bryant gets a goal that the Reno keeper surely will forget or want to forget. Uh, the keeper actually saved it, but then the momentum of his other hand, his left hand coming over, punched the ball, and it just trickled over the line. One minute later, San Antonio gets the win. Jose Gallegos puts it in. And it's a 3-2 for San Antonio, a badly needed win. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, definitely a surprise when you look at, you know, the box score. You know, Reno being up 2-0 on the road. You know, you would think that, yeah, San Antonio is maybe able to squeak back and get one goal or even two and make it a draw. But to get three unanswered goals, I mean, huge huge result for San Antonio, a team that we've talked about. I mean, they've just been struggling this season. They had high expectations. And, I mean, when we played them in that 3-3 draw, it definitely was not a great match by rising standards. But San Antonio showed something that night. And, you know, it seems like they haven't found much since then. But this win is, I think, hopefully going to help them slowly work their way up the standings. I don't know if they're able to make it up to playoffs, but I definitely think they're able to get out of the basement. Yeah, they uh, they showed a little bit of fight there. I've been noticing a lot more comebacks this year, multi-goal comebacks. I feel like in years past, you know, maybe teams would come back from one goal down, but I've seen several already this year where teams are down by two or more goals and they're coming back. I mean, the West has been crazy in the best kind of way. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it just speaks to the, I mean equal level of play throughout the West. I mean, just a lot of very good teams said, I mean, these teams aren't letting, you know, being behind get to them. They're able to fight back and show their resolve to get a result or, you know, at least make it close. And it's fun. I mean, that's, you know, blowouts, they're fun too when you're rooting for the winning team, but it, it makes the game fun for all fans when it's a close match. And, you know, it's uh, it's just great. And I think it's something that, you know, we'll definitely have to be wary of because I think last year there was more of a, you know, spread out um just rankings of as far as how teams were at and what level they were at this year. It's really, I mean, any week somebody could upset another team. It's, it's really crazy. For sure. Guys, it's time to talk about El Paso. They won three nil over Los Dos at home. Jerome Keysweater with another brace. He now has nine goals in nine matches this year. He's scoring a goal. He's only played 804 minutes and he has nine goals for El Paso. That's better than one every 90 minutes. And El Paso is now tied with us on points. You know, same matches played. They have a 
you know, in USL, they haven't lost since since we beat them on April 13th. They have not lost in USL since then. Uh, they yeah, had that one I match mean, that against Madison. That is so impressive. But... That is so impressive. And I, I just have to say, I mean, how how great it makes me feel that we already played that, that match in El Paso. And it really shows that that match was a tougher match than what we thought at the time to get that win. Um, I mean, it, but I, I mean, it's, it's, we played them at the right time, definitely on the road, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're showing up and they're getting the results and it's, I mean, it's cool to see for a new club, but I mean, Kisa better. We talked about it. I mean, the guy is just on fire. It's, it's unreal how quickly he's came into this golden boot race. And, um, Another thing that hasn't been discussed as much, they now have the best defense in the Western Conference. They've only conceded 12 goals in 13 matches, which people in the East will be like, well, everyone does that. But in the Western Conference, that's pretty impressive. You know, their their possession style, I think it's like us. It took some time to gel at the beginning of the year. But now things are clicking for El Paso. And you, you just got to shine some love on a team that really hasn't been talked about much all the hype has been with new mexico even timbers too has kind of been impressive with how they've started you know fresno was unbeaten for a while teams like okc and sacramento have had hype at certain points and el paso has just been super under the radar and they're just yeah. getting the job done and they have they have and there's no reason it, it can't continue for them i mean their next match at Tulsa, match after that, home to Vegas. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to think they're they're able to get some points out of those matches. I would think, you know, three, maybe even four, six points if you know it goes their way. I think that, I think that going under the radar, you know, it's it's been probably good for them. But it's probably disappointing, too, if you're an El Paso fan because, I mean, you think about it, any other season without New Mexico United coming in and lighting the West on fire, I mean, El Paso would be getting all the love and praise right now just for doing what they've done. I mean, like you said, they have the same record as us and Portland Timbers, too. Um, I mean, very impressive that that they've done this. And, I mean, I didn't know that we were their last loss. Um, But that's, that's crazy to me that they haven't lost since... Would you say April 14th? April 13th. 13th. That's crazy. Wow. So, moving on to New Mexico United. They had a lot of their starters in for that Wednesday match. They clearly prioritized that one, being a national TV match. Didn't work out the way they wanted it to. But you figure, okay, Sacramento coming to our house. They're not a super strong team. Well, New Mexico just gets beat up in this match 3-0 finish very very controversial penalty puts Sacramento up in this match it was called a handball I saw the replay of this and if there's any contact it's inadvertent I understand that the rules are changing where any contact is a penalty but this is straight up a stupid call I, I didn't see it, but I mean, would it? Uh, I mean, I just think back to you know the penalty in the Champions League final um, last weekend. It, it, it technically is a penalty, but it's it's one of those to where you know it's the player really wasn't trying to obstruct anything, um, but but you know shit happens. 
Um, I, I mean, disappointing definitely for New Mexico because I feel like Sacramento is one of those teams that once they get that goal, that early goal, I mean, they're very tough to, to break down and to get past. And, I mean, especially when, as we talked about, New Mexico played maybe a, a weaker squad than what they're, you know, capable of. Um, I mean, just, just so unfortunate for New Mexico there. But, I mean, I have to say as a Phoenix fan, I'm grinning right now um, knowing that they dropped points. They dropped four points last week. Or, no, five points. I did it again. Five points last week. So, I mean, huge, huge for Rising that we can uh, make up some of that space that they have on us. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the, the 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 penalty was at least in the Champions League, the guy's arm was stretched out, so and it wasn't in a natural position. Now, it might not have been in a natural position because he was pointing to his other teammates, but still, like at least that's probably a penalty. You know, there's definitely yeah. a good argument. This was from the angle I had; it looked like nothing. Um, so, but then Republic takes advantage, they get a good, uh, second goal off of a cross and a nice header, and then Kami Wasa finishes it with a very well-worked team goal in the 90th minute, and that's gotta be a super disappointing week for New Mexico, two home matches and you only get one point. They're now in first place, yes, but they are only two points ahead of a string of teams who all have two matches in hand. Yeah, I mean, they got to be looking down and uh, just crossing their fingers right now. And I know, you know, Phoenix and the other squads, they're definitely looking up and smiling because, I mean, this this is coming at a great time. I think a lot of teams are hitting their form right now. And, I mean, we talked about it. Phoenix has a tough stretch coming up. But I think knowing that there's points out there to grab and if we're able to do the dirty work, work that we can be up to first place by the end of the month of june i mean that's got to be motivation for these guys for sure uh moving on to the last three matches of the western conference real monarchs gets a 5-3 win over rgv goals galore monarchs was up 3-0 early in this match um but rgv showed some fight they hung in there um every time they cut it down to two though Monarchs would have an answer, and ultimately it finishes 5-3. This is just one of those weird matches with, you know, MLS two sides, where you, you never know exactly how it's going to go, but both these teams show that they have potential, but also very leaky defenses that we've already taken advantage of. So, not too surprising, but good result for Monarchs keeps them out of the basement. And then, two matches worth discussing... You know, Vegas, Orange County ended 1-1. We talked about that a lot during the OC preview. But any takeaways from that match? Um, I mean, for me, it would be, I mean, just more that, uh, I mean, OC was able to go in and do the dirty work down a man. And that's, I mean, thing we definitely, you know, need to look out for next week. And something that we need to consider is this team, you know, when they have to, they're able to just sit back and defend all out and uh, and get a result and I mean it, it's and actually they scored when they were down a man too so they can get a goal I mean it, they're they're a very difficult scrappy tough team um, I mean we're gonna have to you know give everything and the ball's gonna have to fall our way a couple times and the refs hopefully gonna have to use his whistle because I mean it's they're gonna be a difficult team 
But, I mean, ultimately, I think Vegas has to feel hard done. We we looked back, and they actually had a goal called off for offsides. And I think it was offsides, but it looked like it was pretty close. So, I mean, they still have to feel, you know, unfortunate not to be able to get lucky there or just stay on sides. Um, but, I mean, that, that result, I think, ultimately is is probably good for us in that Orange County played a tough match. Um, didn't get, you know, three points out of it, but, you know, they'll be tired from being on the road and, I don't. I didn't see who got the red card, but they will have one player suspended for for next week's match. So, yeah, that's a good point. Let me go back and and see who exactly will have that suspension. It was Joe Amico, who is a regular starter for them. Yep. Um, and then the last match, and he might have a longer suspension for that because he he shoved a guy completely off the ball. Um, shoved him to the ground so that that might actually be a multi-gamer that might be two or three we'll see um and then the the last match fresno okc finishes 1-1 jamal johnson gets an early goal for fresno deshaun brown second time this week gets a late equalizer for okc and it finishes 1-1 despite fresno having 25 shots to okc's six they both only had three on target this is, I'll get a quick take in here and then you can give me your thoughts. This is why OKC is such a dangerous team if they make the playoffs. Because, yeah, they're not going to control the play that much. They are a counterattacking team. But they're, when they're opportunistic in front of goal, they're going to take these good teams to penalty kick shootouts. You know, OKC is a team that could come into our building get an opportunistic goal and you know if their defense is strong if their keeper has a good game they could take us to a pk shootout or even win it one nil or something like that it's a it's a scary proposition yeah but but i mean it it is a realistic one and it's i mean yeah you you're absolutely on point i mean okc they're definitely one of those tough teams and i think a penalty kick you know it it kind of favors them um cody lorendi i mean he's a great shot stopper and and they have some great players too who i know can just kick the ball from the penalty spot and i mean they've done it in the past they've really played you know upset maker in the um, in the usl playoffs and you know it'll probably yeah happen again this season i mean the the one thing for phoenix would be just to hope that we don't uh we don't get paired up with them because yeah i mean it, it's absolutely kind of been their bread and butter it seems like from what i've seen from okc they're not the most talented team but they, they definitely have talent through the squad and i mean they're able to get these results on the road especially i mean it, they're one of those teams very similar to oc for me maybe not as physical but it seems like every match they're in it. They put themselves in it. Sometimes they get unlucky and end up blowing a, a match. But a lot of the time, you know, they're they're in that match and they're able to get a result or get a win out of it if you know if things go their way. Yeah, they're they're um, definitely not an impressive watch, but they just find themselves in decent situations because of their approach and you know it it works in the playoffs. You know that that gritty defensive let's try to get that one goal and they do have a lot of guys that can put the ball in the net um and for fresno that's a frustrating result they've they've been on a run of bad form now that's two draws and a loss in our last three when they had a real opportunity to jump up the standings um so we'll run through the full standings right now 
In first, we have New Mexico United with 25. Phoenix, Portland, 2, and El Paso are all on 23 points in the 2 through 4 spots. We are in second by nature of our league best plus 17 goal differential. Then we have Fresno in 5th place. OKC also tied uh, with Fresno on 21 points. Fresno has 2 games in hand, so they are 5th. OKC is 6th. Then on 20 points, we have Sac Republic and Reno each. And uh, Sac Republic in 7th because they have one more win. In 9th and 10th, we have Austin Bold and OC. Austin has one more win than OC, so that puts them in 9th. And then just outside the playoffs, we have Los Dos on 18 points. Tulsa in 12th with 17 points. RGV and Las Vegas Lights both on 16 points. Real Monarchs with 15. San Antonio with 15. Colorado Springs with 14. And rounding it out, we have Tacoma Defiance with 9 points. Any thoughts on how things are shaking up so far? I mean, it's just so, so tight above that playoff line. I mean, you got six points separating 10 through one. I mean, and the matches, it seems like nine of those teams have at least one match in hand on New Mexico, the leader right now. It is it is insane, complete log jam. When you look at, you know, the West compared to the East, is it's just wild how competitive the West is and how, how these teams are just duking it out every single week. I, I mean, I have to say that, you know, it's, it's still crazy to me. San Antonio is where they are, but I, I do think that eventually they're able to work their way up. They still, I mean, they're only four points out of playoffs when you really look at it. I mean, they're really not in a terrible, terrible situation like, you know, Swope Park Rangers in the East. I mean, they're they're absolutely dead. Or even Tacoma. I mean, they're done. There's no there's no hope for a team with negative thirty goal differential. But well, uh, there's the thing is the I East, mean it, it is the East Swope technically isn't dead though, because teams one through nine too. teams yeah. one through nine have a pretty good cushion. You know what? How many points the tenth place team the East has right now? Thirteen. From thirteen games. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Bethlehem Steel would be in seventeenth place in the Western Conference. They they would be below Colorado Springs. They would be in last place if we switched them in Tacoma Defiance. And in the East, they're in the playoffs. I mean, it is, it is, it is crazy, and I mean, people are always going to speculate who's better, East versus West. I mean, this, I mean, you can't say that this is a clear picture of, you know, just proof of it. But I mean, this is, it's, it's crazy when you look at that. And I mean, it's, what's even crazier to me is the team above Bethlehem, uh, St. Louis. I mean, they have only played eleven matches and have nineteen points, so they still have potential to work their way up. Well, St. Louis has been in a really poor run lately. They started out super Yeah, lately strong. they have. Yeah, yeah. Weren't they, I think at one point they were, weren't they number one in the East for like a week or two? Yeah, they haven't won a match since April 27th. And I they haven't played many matches since then either. But they just lost to Hartford yesterday. I, I saw that. So that's what Hartford's second win in USL uh, in USL history. So I mean, it very it, Hartford's definitely starting to turn it around. Actually, looking at their past uh, four results, they're two, two and one. Gosh, or Hartford, two, one and two. 
if Hartford makes it as the tenth seed and then goes on a playoff run, I would. Oh, that would be the best timeline. And it it really would. I mean, you really you talk about a redemption story throughout the season, and I mean that would be it. To to be able to do that, I mean, <laughs> that would be unreal. But I mean, looking at it right now, it's definitely possible if they get a a couple more wins. And yeah, Bethlehem drops one or two. I mean, they're in it for sure. Um, let's wrap this up because we've had a pretty nice long episode. Um, what's your final thoughts? I mean, easily just the best match of the whole season was on Friday night. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, everything was just coming up rising. But, I mean, we really, really need to stay focused. And we can't underestimate this Orange County team. I mean, we played terrible when we played when they played in, in uh, Orange County. But I think that Phoenix has everything they need to turn this result around. It's definitely going to be tough missing Lambert and Flemings, but I I still think that our team is deep enough. I think Rick Shantz can coach these boys this week, and they can get. I think Kalistri and Musa can get you know the minutes they need and uh, start getting you know into the good form. I just I really think that this is going to be a tough stretch, but I mean this Friday night dollar beer night was just what we needed to start the month of June, and I, I'm really just looking forward to it, man. I think that this is you know a great time. To, to follow this team and even you know if, if Orange County doesn't go well I think that you know there's still a lot left for this team to do this season I mean we we all were worried and talking about oh this start oh this team what is this when we were conceding all these goals early on and not getting the wins that we thought we deserved but I mean just look at us now we're in second place in the west and getting up to first is all in our hands so I mean it, we can do whatever we want basically at this point it's it's all up to us yeah patience is a virtue and for those who practice it it is paying off in spades you know league best goal differential now we completely have our own destiny in our hands to get up to that number one spot coming off our best performance of the season and granted we are going to have a tough month of june coming up but this is as good as any of us has felt about the squad and i i'm going to put this out there because I don't want anyone overreacting too much if things don't go our way the next few weeks. This squad has shown that when we're at full strength, and that's even without Rigi and Johnson, but when it's close to full strength, we can absolutely destroy anyone. You know, we have the potential to be the best team in USL, and so even if we have a couple tough matches, we have a tough match in Reno, maybe we draw OKC... Maybe we draw OC, you know, people get frustrated. Let's not worry too much because it's a long season and we already know now that Rick Schatz's system when it works is dynamite. And we have guys who can perform at levels we've never seen with this team. A lot of people came into this year questioning, all right, how is how are things going to be after Drogba? We had plans to be good. But some of these performances... We're seeing goals that we didn't even see during the Drogba years. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's all I got to say. Like, this is as excited and content as I've felt this whole season about our squad, about the coaching situation, about everything. Everything is on the right path. I just want it to be playoffs already. And, um, well, I, I really just want it to be September 28th at New Mexico already. <laughs> 
because that match is going to decide four corners cup. It's going to decide you know, playoff seeding for sure, possibly top seed. Um, you know, the atmosphere there's going to be crazy. I want to see just how crazy it is. I'll definitely be going to that match. So, guy, I just wish it was there already. But it, it feels it feels inevitable that we're going to be doing big things at the end of this year because everything's clicking right now. No, I, I agree completely. I mean, it's 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 one of those times that we, we want the end of the season to be here because we want to see this team, you know, have success. But also it's it's one of those things where seeing this process develop and grow, it's it's been so wonderful. And I mean, just just to be confident now and to know that we have these guys that we have 14 players who we can pretty much count on each week, give, give and take here or there, a few subs. But these are our guys. This is our strong starting 11 with a few bench players. And, I mean, it, it's just it's awesome to have this bit of stability now and to, to just see that this team is, is capable of so much, even through the tough times and through the adversity. They haven't let that get them down. And, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you completely. I mean, it's just pushing towards New Mexico United. you got to be looking towards that match. And, I mean, I think everyone – we need to do repeat what we did to Orange County last year in that Western Conference Championship. I mean, we need to get that stadium as red as possible on uh, September 28th. Absolutely. And it all starts with our match against OC next week. It'll be a fun one for sure. I'm sure we'll have a great show for you guys then. Until next time, this is Dominic Kearns saying Uprising. Uprising. Uprising.